there's going to be a word on the screen and then I have a question for you. That's the word we were just singing about. My question for you is how many of you feel like this word describes you right now? <laughs> I mean, will you raise your hand? Who feel Yes, you feel powerful. Why do you feel powerful? <laughs> it describes you. What is it? Any anybody who's who's bold enough to say you feel that this word describes you? May, I mean, maybe you ate a really healthy dinner. I mean, maybe you ate dinner and that makes you feel powerful. I mean, coming here in the evening like this after a full day of work, I'm sure dinner is like an afterthought. Um, maybe you had a great workout. Anybody have a great workout that felt makes you feel powerful? Um, maybe singing worship like this and putting our hearts and minds on what we're going to study tonight. Maybe that makes you feel powerful, as it should. Um, I, I just wanted to start off sharing a story about a time when I felt pretty powerless, fairly powerless. It was about five years ago when my girls, I have three girls, and when they were about seven, five, and one, I remember um, their, a funny occurrence where they were in school, the oldest two were in school, second grade and kindergarten, and they felt like they were pretty big, you know, they were really getting old, and they sh- really shouldn't watch cartoons anymore. They had graduated to some more sophisticated stuff like Disney shows. And there was a particular show that shall remain nameless um, that they loved. And I did not love this show because there were just these subtle messages in the show. It was, it was one of those Disney shows that was really targeted at you know, tweens maybe, but depicted high schoolers as cool and funny and smart and really depicted parents as the opposite, like not funny, not smart, and pretty indis- or pretty dispensable, like unnecessary. And, and I just did not like the show. They loved it and really wanted to watch it. I didn't like the subtle messages that it sent about family or about respect or lack thereof or um, the purpose of life or pursuit of happiness, <laughs> just all these subtle messages. It was not an overtly terrible show, but um, One day I went for a run with a friend who I processed life with, and I'm so thankful that I have someone I can do that with, because I just needed to vent about this. I was kind of mad about it. You know, who, what's wrong with Disney? Put this show out here for my innocent little girls. And um, she listened and even commiserated a little bit with me, and then she asked me a question that really seemed simple. I'm sure to her it was very simple. But in that moment, it was really profound for me. She just said... Jamie, what about this show are you afraid of? And I remember kind of feeling like, hey, that's not the point, <laughs> you know. I'm, we're not talking about my fear. We're talking about Disney. And, um, and, you know, what's so wrong about me wanting to just continue to steer my girls towards Little House in the Prairie, you know? That's the show I grew up with where, like, Rev, the reverend preaches the gospel and Ma is a prayer warrior and Pa, you know, just with faith and hard work can solve everyone's problems, right? So that's where I wanted to steer them. But, um, but as we processed that a little bit and, um, and then I continued to process it as uh, we parted ways, I just remember a profound moment where um, in the rain and grappling with what am I afraid of? the Holy Spirit really spotlighted for me that the root of my issue with this program was my own fear. And so while I was running, I remember just like saying all the things that I was afraid were gonna, was going to happen 
because we were going to let this show come into our lives, or maybe not, but (laughs) the reason I didn't want to. Um, I was afraid, you guys, I was afraid that the messages of the world about about identity, their identity, about God, about sex, about life, purpose, meaning, we're going to, the the lies of the enemy through this show were going to penetrate the hearts of just my precious little girls, right? I was afraid that I couldn't protect them anymore. I mean, they were big second and second grader and kindergartner. Now the world was coming into our home, you know, through the public school. <laughs> and I couldn't censor it anymore. Um, I was afraid that the world would just come into our home looking pretty and alluring like it does and attractive and exciting. And in the end, it would hurt my girls. And I just was really afraid. And I think I was afraid because I felt so powerless. I didn't feel like the word you see up there. I felt like I can't control this. It's just going to happen. It's just the, you know, the train has left the tracks. It's going. And, you know, um, I still feel that way. Now they're 12, 10, and 6. And waves of fear can often wash over me as there's so much that we're talking about, you know, the, the stakes are higher and I'm sure are going to get a lot higher, right? I'm just, you're, some, some of you are looking at me going, oh, honey, you have no idea. And I'm sure that's true. And it scares me to think about. <laughs> um, so as the waves of fear overtake me, I think about that question, what am I afraid of? And when I do that, it spot, in that moment, it spotlighted my fear. And I was able to see it more clearly once I called it out and then see it in comparison with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then it didn't look as big. It put it in perspective for me. And so there was power in that question. There was power mostly by looking at Jesus in that moment. And so we're going to talk about power tonight like Paul did Uh, in our passage. But before we do, I want to ask you to take a minute right now and think about your answer to that question. What are you afraid of? Maybe what's looming large in your life right now? Maybe it's something that you're holding tight to and you just are afraid that you want to control it, but you can't. Or maybe you know you can't control it, but because of that, it's causing you a lot of anxiety. Would you write it in your notes even? Take a minute and write it. Maybe, And my hope is that as you write it out, that as we open the word and we talk about the power that is ours in Christ Jesus, that that, his, that power and that truth will just wash right over the fear or the anxiety that is looming large in your life. Two weeks ago, we gathered before Thanksgiving with Marianne talking about the first part of Paul's prayer of Thanksgiving for the Ephesians. And now today we're going to dig into the second part. But in order to just refresh our memory about the entire prayer, I thought we should start by, by reading it. So you'll see it on the screen. Ephesians 1, 15 through 23 is what we'll look at. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might." 
that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over, the, over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Paul prayed that the Ephesians would know three things. The hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance, and the immeasurable greatness of his power. He prayed for hope, riches, and power. Isn't that awesome? That's, that's what he, he prayed for the Ephesians. So the word power, did it feel strange for me to ask you if you felt powerful tonight? Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> Right? I think about how we toss around the word power. I mean, I saw it on a poster at the gym this morning that, like, if I'm working out, I'm just going to be, that's going to be power. I'm going to be power. I didn't feel very powerful (laughs) when I was there. Um, Maybe fleeting. Or, you know, we throw around the word like girl power. That's what we do. We bond together, and that's because we have this common experience, and that, and that helps. It makes us feel good. Like, there's power, but I think we know that that's, um, that's a little shallow. That kind of power, because what Paul is talking about is not shallow power. And so we get to talk about that tonight. And my prayer is that as we we look at this, at what power he's talking about, we will know, even if we don't feel it always, we know that often our emotions and our feelings don't match. We need the truth and we need the knowledge to just cling to, even when we don't feel it, but that we would know the immeasurable greatness of his power and feel empowered as we understand what is ours in Christ by the time we wrap up today. (laughs) That's the goal. Um, So our truth for today is that the power, or one key truth, is that the power of God is at work in and through the life of the believer through Christ Jesus. And the way that we're going to look at that is... This power, the outline of power, is power over death, as we see in, our, in verses 19 through 20. Power over evil, and then power given as head of the church. So let's first remember who Paul was writing to, the Ephesians. They were his target audience. The Ephesians were believers in Jesus Christ, these, the, the recipients of this letter. Uh, they lived in a culture that was afraid. Remember how we, we read at the very beginning of our study about how they were afraid of the dark forces of evil and witchcraft and death that were very prevalent in their age. And Paul knew them. He knew them well, and he knew that this was their reality. He knew that they'd been saved out of a culture that was striving to access power of any kind. They wanted to feel a, a sense of control over these, and so they accessed astrology and witchcraft, and they worshipped the goddess Artemis. So he knew that they, he needed to talk to them about the immeasurable greatness of the power that they had now in Christ Jesus. Though the Ephesians, they were fearful, and they were insecure. They experienced fear from a hostile environment who did not receive them, a fear of persecution, a fear of death, a fear of failure in their day. Maybe they're not all that much different than us. (laughs) Anybody feel a fear of failure every now and then? Or maybe of death, or of aging, or of the evil forces that are all around? Ray Steadman says that the answer to fear is power. And so when one feels empowered, their fear subsides. So 
I felt powerless in controlling the world for my little girls, and it was because I was, I was really afraid. So we get to turn that on its head when we look into the scriptures, and some of the scriptures that we know, um, we learn that the answer to fear or weakness is the power of Christ. One of my favorites, and one that we've actually been learning in my home, my youngest is in first grade and has, has been having such difficulty going to school in the morning and is just afraid that she's going to make a mistake or afraid that her teacher's going to be mad at her. And so we've been, we've been memorizing 2 Timothy 1.7, and we have hand motions. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share them with you. You might want to use these. They're, they're, they make me feel powerful. Um, <laughs> so it is, for God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. And some versions say sound mind. And that feels powerful. That is truth. Another one I love is 2 Corinthians 12, 9 that promises, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So as we look at how, once again, the way of of the gospel is an upside down thing. When we feel weak, he is strong. When we are afraid, that's when we cling to the power that we know we have in Christ. So what is this power? First, it's power over death. Now, you looked at this a lot in your lessons this week. Let's, I'll just go ahead and read Ephesians 1.20. It says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. The power we're talking about is resurrection power. This is the ultimate example of God's immeasurable greatness of power. In this instance, God arrested the natural process of decay and death in his son Jesus. He just stopped it, and then he transcended it. And Jesus was altogether raised to a new life, immortal and glorious. We know that the plight of man was set, the course was set in when man sinned, when Adam sinned in the garden. In Genesis 3.19, God says to Adam, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken for you are dust and to dust, you shall return. Isn't that humbling? (laughs) That's the plight right there. As a result of this, death is totally inescapable for mankind. Every human being, this is just no small fact And I know many of us feel the weight of that, the reality of that, as we age or our loved ones age or pass on. It is a bitter enemy that we all will face. We don't have to like it. (laughs) Um, It's a force that man cannot control. But isn't it interesting, as I was just thinking on this truth, for some reason it was profound to me, this, this fact that we cannot escape death. Um, Because so much in our world suggests to me that we, we can probably prolong, you know, prolong our life and maybe we can't just escape it at some point. Um, I just found it interesting that while we all know this to be true, we seem to operate almost in a state of denial. We step through life doing all of these things to manage our health and stay healthy and plan for the future and alleviate pain and prolong life. And modern medicine really has caused us to think that maybe we can control much of our aging. And, and yet, then we're almost surprised when we get that diagnosis or when we, something ends and we realize that we're faced with our mortality. 
the suffering around us is bitter and heavy and real. And this is not to, I do not take that lightly. Um, in his, I've been reading this book called Being Mortal by Atul Gawande. He's a doctor and um, also is facing his own mortality as he's nearing the end of his life. And he says, there is no escaping the tragedy of life, which is that we are all aging from the day we are born. (laughs) Uh, That's just the truth. That's the facts, right? He writes this book about how modern medicine has made mortality a medical experience, maybe even a medical experiment, that life expectancy has increased and quality of life has improved with sanitation and healthcare, and pain is managed and life can be prolonged. However, as a medical professional, he feels that those in his profession carry this weight of responsibility where they're expected to fix the problems of their patients when they come in. And if the problem isn't fixed, he and his colleagues feel a sense of failure. And uh, in fact, they're very underprepared to have mortality conversations with their patients. Um, There's just an expectation in our modern society that we should be able to fix the problem of death. And of course, I didn't need to search very long to find some staggering statistics about just a small portion of the consumer market that we all live in that's aimed at slowing the process of death and aging. It's it's the... um, the headline was in July of this year predicting that the, anti, the global anti-aging market is expected to reach $331 billion in just three years. And this is up from $250 billion just last year. And so that's just a segment of the market that is aimed at the outward appearance of aging. <laughs> that doesn't even factor in everything we were just talking about, the medical profession. Um, when we add to it that medical industry, it's interesting and staggering to think about how the striving that we have in hopes of an alternative to death. And that is, that is our human condition. We will, we will strive to prolong life and make life better, and yet we cannot conquer death. But the news is so good for us as believers, and that's what we're reading about tonight While death is inescapable for each of us, it is not for God in Christ Jesus. So just as a reminder, let's read about this resurrection power. Um, I didn't put it on the screen because I want you to just maybe even close your eyes and, and think about the power that is ours and that was present in this moment. So in Matthew 28, it says, After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. And then in Mark, it talks of the ascension. And it says, After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven, and he sat at the right hand of God. So, friends, this spirit who was present and active to halt the process of death and decay and transcended Christ into heaven is alive in you as a believer in Christ. What do you think about that? <laughs> I, I had to pause and really think about that. Romans 8, 11 says that the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead 
dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So because God raised Jesus from the dead, we don't have to fear death. This power is ours as believers. It's, it's a truth that we must meditate on. John 3.16 says that for, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And I was just, we were think, I was thinking um, with those in, in the leader circle just a few minutes ago, it's just so profound. Um, several in the group have recently lost loved ones, and we were talking about the, the weight of that, which is unavoidable and painful. But what power there is to sit in that situation and claim the truth that we know when we have a loved one going from life into life, like Marianne often says, it, there's power that comes from knowing that those who believe in Christ will live forever. And so the experience of death is a completely different experience because, because of the supernatural power that is in Christ Jesus. And that is unexplainable in this world. And so the truth is that by the power of God exhibited in the resurrected and ascended Christ, believers have power over death. So my question to you is, does the fear of death or aging or pain or of, for yourself or, or a loved one impact your life daily? Is there anything that, that you hold on to that is, um, that is having you operate in a sp- state of fear um, when maybe just a, a redirect or a reframe by the power of Christ in you might help? How might you be able to lean into his power that's yours to find freedom from that fear? Because while death is inescapable, we do not have to live in fear of it. The next verse we'll talk about is verse 21. And in this, we will talk about the power that God has over evil. Verse 21 says, Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet. So in this statement, Paul was referencing a truth that was prophesied about Christ in Psalm 110.1, where it said, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your your footstool. We see here that Jesus is not only alive forevermore, but he's reigning forevermore, enthroned far above. And if you'll indulge me, I just have to put emphasis here. He isn't just above, he's far above. He's not just for this age, but also for the age to come. He's not just for a few powers that may exist in the world, but for all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and above every name that is named. And in our lessons, we, we talked about, why do you think we had to use so many words? I mean, it's because it's unexplainable. And it's beyond any word that we can use to describe, I think. We can't even get our heads around it. He is so far beyond anything that this world ha- contains. Friends, we're not all that different from the Ephesians, I think, of Paul's day. Now, evil came to them in the form of sorcery and witchcraft, and maybe it does in places here too, but I think evil is packaged and delivered in different forms today, perhaps. Um, Aren't we just bombarded with the evidence of evil in our world today, especially with just how connected we all are? Um, I think maybe maybe there's always been this measure of evil 
around in the world. We just didn't know about it <laughs> because now we just pick up our phone to make a call and there's headlines that scare us. Um, and we're here, we hear about the evil that is perpetrated all around the globe. And um, it seems inescapable and it seems unprecedented and it's scary. But even right here at home, maybe you're like me where you fear the sneaky tactics of the enemy that make the world look so attractive. Um, the things look so pretty. The ways of the world look so pretty. The, those tactics that lure, in, lure us into thinking that maybe more money or more entertainment or more freedom or more independence, more escaping, whatever that might look like in our lives, that that will make us more fulfilled. But that's actually a tactic of the evil one to get our attention off of Christ and away from recognizing the power that we have in him. So John 10.10 10 reminds us the very truth about the enemy of our souls, and that is that he, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the truth of the evil that is in this world, that come, whether it be very obvious evil that is perpetrated around the globe or on our own soil, or whether it be the sneaky tactics of our everyday life. But, but God, God has power over all this. Remember, far above, by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the life of us as believers, we can claim the promises of these verses that we're studying today and a few more I'm going to give you that just feel like power verses to me. And when we cling to these power verses that remind us of the truth, um, when we're feeling overcome by evil or tempted, I, I just encourage you to, to hold on to some of these verses and add to them. They're, they're all throughout our lesson. They're all throughout the Bible. You've got your own. <laughs> um, but the ones that were insp inspiring to me that I've been clinging to, Romans 8, 38, and 39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that awesome news? Or 1 John 4, 4 reminds us, this was in your lessons, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So whatever it is that looms large, he's greater. Or Colossians 1, 13 and 14 he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So the truth I want us to know is that by the power of the Holy Spirit, the believer has power over evil. And my question is, are you fearful or anxious? Remember the question I asked at the beginning that was penetrating to my heart years ago and continues to be? Are you fearful or anxious about the evil that you, you experience in the world or that you a fear is going to overtake people you love? Maybe what does it look like in your life? Are there lies that the enemy is telling you that is trying to keep your eyes off of Jesus and the truth? And might you have the courage to call it out into the light? There's something powerful just by naming the things we're afraid of or the things that loom large in our life or the things that we're trying to hold tight to. Once, you, once we have an opportunity to name them and put them into the light, then we can choose to turn our attention away from them and put them back on the truth of who God is. And by doing this, you'll allow the Holy Spirit to spotlight Jesus Christ as victorious over evil in very practical ways in life. 
the victory is won already in the life of a believer. So we don't have to be afraid of, of the evil that seems so, so rampant in our world. The truth is that we may, your life may be touched by evil. It will surely be touched by death um, at some point for each of us. But even before that point, for, if, with many of our loved ones, these are inescapable things that man cannot control. But our God is bigger than, them, than anything that the enemy can throw at our way. And then we come to the last two verses of this passage, and this is where Paul is concluding his prayer for the Ephesians. It says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So in these verses, he speaks of the church for the first time to the Ephesians. And he will, we will spend considerable time as we continue in our study of Ephesians talking about the church. So that same power that defeated death in the resurrection and reigns far above all dominions and little p powers is available to each individual who believes, but not just to individuals wandering by themselves independent. He gathers these individuals, gathered and proclaimed in this moment, that we are a set-apart group called the church. He proclaims that the church is actually God's chosen vessel for dispensing his power in creation. God, as creator and sustainer of all, established the church as the avenue by which his spirit would move and one by one move from believer into the life of an almost believer and thereby bring them into the church. So I just think that's so powerful um, that the church is the vessel that God chose. The message says it this way. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. The church is not peripheral to the world, but the world is peripheral to the church. That seemed profound to me. It's not an afterthought of God's. This isn't a, oh man, what am I going to do with this, with these people that's not, it's not an afterthought, it's, and it's also not an establishment created by men and women who want to gather up with their friends. It is established by God for his purpose of redeeming his broken creation by the power of his spirit. And then it's so helpful the way that Paul describes the church. Um, he chose a metaphor that we humans can grasp, that, that of the head and the body, Christ as the head and the church as the body. So we know the human body cannot live without a brain, right? In fact, it was said earlier, if, if you want to kill someone, you cut their head off, right? Um, in order for there to be life and function in the body, in the extremities of the body, the brain must be filling it with signals and senses. Conversely, the brain can continue to function even when parts of the body fail, or perhaps never worked from the beginning. And we know this to be true as we hearken back to our conversation about aging, right? Things start to fail, but we're still alive and functioning as long as our brain is. And so the head is the source of life. The body is the vessel by which all things originating in the brain make it out into the human experience in the world. And then the passage says, he gave him as head over all things to the church the fullness of him who fills all in all. 
I've been fixated on this word gave in this, in this piece of the scripture. God gave Christ to the church, but he also gave the church. He established the church and it was a gift. Isn't God just in the business of giving gifts? I think about all that we've been studying already in this year about spiritual blessings that are ours. He is so good. He gives us his spirit to one individual at a time. And by his spirit, we come to know him better. Without the gift of the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't even be able to comprehend the relationship we can have with God. Then he gives us the gift of the church, which is a set-apart group of people who include generations past, present, and future, here locally and abroad. And then he gives his spirit by the blood of Christ to to the set-apart group, which is his chosen vessel, and he is the head. He is the one ordering all of what the church is doing. And that's what where his power flows into the broken world that we live in. It's hard to get our minds around, right? <laughs> the truth is that Christ is the head of the church, which is God's chosen vessel for his power in this broken world. And don't we see this? I mean, I think about the devastation that we've seen, you know, that I mentioned earlier, earthquakes and hurricanes and um, persecution. And into very hard, difficult places, into tragedy, into devastation um, by natural disasters, the church moves. The church goes into those places and God fills church members, individuals with his power to impact the lives of people in very practical ways. It's such an incredible opportunity that we, the church, have to, to just come alongside, to walk alongside people that are hurting. So as we wrap up our study of Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, I just couldn't help but recognize this high value that Paul, that God, has placed on the church. And like I said, we'll continue to talk more about the church in these coming months. But my question to you at this moment is, what value do you place on the church? I know for me, it, this has been really helpful to think about, to think about the fact that the church is not just a place where we gather because it's fun for us or we get fed. It's a place where we come and join with others who are like-minded. Who And what a gift that is. I think about how, I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I'm in circles of um, people who, are, who, who don't have a common faith, even some in my own family, I feel so different. You know, it's as if we have this... Um, and we do. It says if we, we can see what is going on or a glimpse of what's going on in the spiritual realm and it causes us to engage in the world in a different way and our responses are different. We don't have the same fear that some would over what, what's being experienced in the world or we, or we have a peace that, that is supernatural that if you don't have a, a faith in Christ, then maybe you don't have that kind of peace. And so oftentimes I feel different. But what a gift it is that we can gather right here at the river or here on Sunday morning at River West, or I think about all the churches, the local churches that are represented by you all in, in this area. I even think about the churches that I visited abroad, you know, in Rwanda. Um, and to think that there are people like-minded who believe in Christ as their savior, we have this in common. It's a safe place. We can come and, and sing about our powerful God and we're not, all that weird. (laughs) 
where um, it's a safe place. It's a place where we can be encouraged and open the word of God and discover truth and be excited about it. Um, And that's not, it would be so lonely if I was just the only one doing this. (laughs) God has given us a great gift by giving us the church. And then to think that it's the high value that he's placed on it, that it's not, a, it's not an afterthought. It is central to his plan for redeeming the broken world. So as we join together as Christ followers and, um, and think about the church, I just want to encourage you to imagine and think about what your view of the church is and, and, and consider what Paul's teaching us about it. So we began our time talking about the fear that we all likely experience in some way or another. Maybe it's, um, and it's just inevitable as we live in this broken and hurting world. And I do not want to diminish that in any way. The human experience is painful. And, and there, is, there is no guilt or shame in having things that loom large in our life. But we have an opportunity to reframe those, to not live in a spirit of fear, but to claim the truth that is the power of Christ. And so I I actually, I have a tool that we've used, I've used to kind of help me think through what is it that I'm holding on to so that I can put it out in the light and let the Holy Spirit just spotlight truth over that. And if anybody's interested in, in that tool and scripture that goes along with it, please see me afterwards or shoot me an email. I'd love to share it with you. Um, because I know for me, I need tangible reminders of the truth. And I need to revisit it regularly. Um, but know that the truth is, as a believer, you are victorious because you serve a powerful God. Your God has defeated death and evil. And my guess is that all of our fears, when drilled down into, are probably rooted somewhere in death or evil (laughs) that is the reality of our world. But by the power of the cross, God has already won its power over death and evil. He is the one who will have the last word. He reigns far above. And he will redeem his broken world to himself. So if you put your faith in Christ Jesus as your Savior then you're sitting here victorious, and you can claim that truth. And if you're here today considering faith in Christ, this victorious power is available to you the moment you say yes to Jesus as your Savior. And so my prayer is that you will accept this the free gift that is yours by grace and experience freedom from the things that are looming large in your life right now. Feel free to talk to your leader, talk to me afterwards, um, to to discover what that feels like and to say yes to Christ. Um, but as, we, as I just turn to prayer, I just want to pray for each of us to truly know and feel the power that is ours as we press into Christ. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are incredible. You are so far beyond what my mind can imagine, and I worship you because of it. And Lord, I just, I just want to pray over each person in this room. Lord, you know the things that are looming large in each life represented here. In the families, in the, in the health crises, in the realities of marriages or kids or jobs or finances. Lord, you know all of it. You see each of us and you know how, how, we're, how it's affecting our lives. 
And I praise you, Lord, because you greater are you. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And I pray that each one of us would walk out of here tonight knowing that as a fact in our hearts and in our lives, and that it would change the way we engage in the world tomorrow. Lord, transform us by the power of your word and your spirit. We love you and we give you all the glory. In your name, amen.